Hey, friends. Uh, Jeff Pospisil is the CFO of the GMC. That means he's the head finance guy of the denomination that I and so many belong to. And I've already spoken to him once, like seven months ago. It's a great conversation. If you haven't watched that, you really should, because it gives you a sense of the theology he has behind um, finance and what he understands himself to be doing in ministry. He came out of the Dakotas as their treasurer, had a great record there. And now, to my eyes, and then uh, the many others who are watching, he's doing a really good job leading the Global Methodist Church in its financial uh, ministry. And a big decision was made this last week to leave Westpath, which had been trying to, to, to cater to the GMC and to join instead Guidestone, which has been primarily associated with the Southern Baptist Convention for some time. So there are a lot of eyebrows raised about this decision. Was it necessary? What benefits does it have associated with it? What risk does it have associated with it? They put out a general release, and then they put out an FAQ this last week that hopefully answered a lot more questions. Um, but I don't know if your brain is like mine. I just like to hear all the thoughts and ideas connected into one coherent piece. I've got Jeff signed up to be with me for an hour today. He wants to be transparent about finances. You know that that's something very important to me. I uh, I don't like behind-the-scenes opaque stuff at all. That's what got me in trouble in the United Methodist Church. I'm going to do what I can uh, to help the Global Methodist Church earn the trust that it deserves, and that means turning to Jeff and other leaders in the GMC and giving them an opportunity and a platform to say, here's what we're doing, here's why, here's what it looks like. So I'm really please, pleased to um, uh, welcome Jeff Pospisil back on Plain Spoken and, and have him here with me today. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing well, Jeffrey. Great to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, and you're no stranger to the internet and YouTube and all these platforms. You've got your own uh, personal ministry that you've been doing for some time um, that I don't get to consult as much as I would like to. But if, if folks, if you're interested in having um, a command, a better command and, and, and understanding of church finance, Jeff has a YouTube channel. It's just your name, Jeff Pospisil, right? Yeah. It's just my name. And then I also have a, a blog, I guess, jctaccounting.com. Mm -hmm. So back in the back in the day, um, I started that because the d denomination, well, actually, it's because I'm an accountant and I don't normally like to deal with people all the time. And I thought, what if there was a place that they could go to, to something that I recorded and it would answer their question and I could answer their questions while I'm doing anything else. So anyway, it was kind of funny, by the way. So I want to say it was Monday or Tuesday. I talked to a treasurer, brand new treasurer, works in for a large company actually doing more complicated stuff than church treasury work. But there's, there's little details that... Um, are unique to the church world. And so she binge watched a bunch of my videos and then just had a couple of follow-up questions. And so I, what would have been maybe an hour-long conversation boiled down to maybe 30 minutes or so because she'd already answered most of her questions by going mm -hmm. online. And that's, that, that's one of the things I love doing. So, I mean, I still right. like doing it, um, helping churches um, get their house in order and prosper and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. you do a really good job at it. So, yeah. and and a lot of people, I mean, most people don't get into ministry so that they can worry about moving money around and keeping watch over money. But when you get good at it and you know what what are good signs and bad signs, it actually is quite empowering as a minister. You don't have to know, you don't have to become a CPA or achieve that level of of knowledge. You can just know best practices 
best software to use. Uh, you deal with all the nuts and bolts of that in these videos. So you're a you're a huge yeah. asset to churches broadly, but especially in the global Methodist church. That's uh, and the United Methodist Church. I mean, these setups are very similar. They won't be over time. Things are going to drift. Yeah. So um, perhaps it would be helpful. Um, whenever I last spoke to you, you had just been appointed to your new position. You've had several months on the job yeah. now. You and I have privately spoken a couple times since then, so I know there have been tons of developments along the way. Perhaps uh, for those who aren't me, who don't know you and what you've been up to, could we get like a, a broad kind of report on the last seven months as you've resumed, yeah. assumed this new position? So it's been, it's been busy. I can't believe uh, yet because I think when I talked to you, I was just leaving my job with the university um, and was joining with the global Methodist denomination and six months just went by like nothing. I mean, it was, it was interesting. So, um, my job is a little bit different than expected, uh, but partially because we're in this transitional time. I mean, I, I want to say I expected to be relating mainly to doing the, the general church staff as well as the, the conferences. Well, um, conferences were just getting online too. So I, I ended up relating to hundreds and hundreds of, of local churches too, which is awesome. I, I actually really enjoy that. So, I mean, it's not like... It's not like a bad thing or anything like that, but I just didn't expect that. So, I mean, for me, one of the first challenges I ran into was how do you manage email when you have thousands of churches literally have access to you and calls and, and all that kind of thing. So, um, so navigating that, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that because I, I think I'm, I'm closer to figuring out what works for me. Um, but then also you have to have time for those big projects too. So anything that's, so one of the first projects and those that were early on into the global Methodist, there was a lot of, um, there still is around benefits, uh, being able to get the billings in and being able to get enrolled and getting all these, all these challenges right around there. So that was a, one of the very first things that I had to, had to work through and, um, just us billing people on time and then crediting their pension accounts timely and be making sure we're able to pay our health insurance bills. I mean, all the stuff doesn't happen automatically when you're dealing with, again, thousands of churches and multi-millions. Um, something has to, we have made a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. So we, we have a great team. By the way, I'm going to plug, plug the benefits team first. Uh, Terry and Brenda and Rick are um, the best literally the best of any denomination there is. So anyway, have you been working with those three the whole time? So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then there's other issues such as connectional funding and bringing conferences online and, and working out some of our systems around um, donations, for example, received donations and connectional funding. And for a long time, it's, it was recorded on an Excel spreadsheet, you know, because oh my gosh, that was the in-between thing. So now it's uh, we are transitioning to Realm. That took us a, a little longer than expected. So part of it... That's I, a software program, a Realm? Going on, but that is. It, okay. It's like... Um, is that like Tidely or like something? Like any donor management software. Tidely or okay. Planning Center or something like that. You know, So people might be familiar with that. A number of other conferences are moving to that. And actually, Mid-South, uh, Matt Conover was the one that turned us towards that direction. And... Um, so it's, it's been interesting. We're all learning together. That's one thing I love. So before this call, 
before talking with you, I was actually meeting with the conference treasurers and it's just nice to, to be able to bounce ideas off of this group and them not to be guarded. I mean, even there was a valid criticism during, during the meeting and I was just like, okay, I'm making your guys's job harder by something I'm doing. Let me fix that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, you know, because I think we all, we all have respect for each other. I think that might be the word. We all respect each other and the work that we're doing that it allows us to criticize each other and receive it. So anyway. That's excellent. I I, I probably didn't talk about it. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on right now. Well, it just course, feels yeah. like you're always trying to keep your head over above water. Let so. me ask a couple questions. Cause uh so you're you're meeting regularly, like monthly with the conference treasurers online? Yep, we try to meet monthly. They have my phone number, so I get regular calls. Not regular, but, you know, calls, emails, and I try to be as responsive as I can with them because I I just, I know as as time goes on, churches will relate closer and closer to um, people that are closer to them, geographically closer. Yeah. I mean, so it'll be their conferences, their presiding elders. So, I mean, that's even why when I put out a blog post, I actually, I, I mean, I want churches to look at it, but if it helps a presiding elder understand more, and so that way they look smarter um, as they go ahead and talk with their churches and their pastors, that's awesome. Yeah. They don't have to give any credit or anything like that. You know, just say, hey, this is how our pension plan works. Hey, this is how our health insurance plan works. This is how connectional funding works. And and, uh, you know, no pride and ownership there. If I could just help them be better at what they do, that that's that's the goal. Right. So. so we have several annual conferences outside of the continental U.S. at this time. Spain, Bulgaria, Democratic Republic of Congo, Philippines, Kenya, Ethiopia. I think those are the ones that I know about. Do they already have treasures in place that you're also corresponding with? They are. Um, I, I don't talk to them as much yet. Okay. Um, that's what, something we need to remedy. Mm -hmm. I, I did visit with uh, South Africa not that long ago, and they are coming on board. And, you know, they're fired up. And just trying to, again, understand where they're at, because some of my assumptions are incorrect, you know, that how things work. I, I'm used to how it works in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and But, but I, we still want to have... Equal, uh, so it, what I think about is equal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So it, I still want churches in in Africa and in Spain, Bulgaria, giving one percent towards the denomination, for example. Right. You know, assuming that they're able to, I think that and that completely fulfills their commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as they're preaching and teaching according right. to to our doctrines. Um, but, but at least on the financial side, that makes them full, full members. I mean, in my eyes that they're not a, a lesser or a second class church or second no, they class can't pastor. Be. They and can't so be. me yeah. understanding exactly their challenges. Yeah. And that's, uh, this is, this is kind of brand new, but we also ex are going to change accounting systems uh, eventually. And we are going to move towards one that will allow for different languages, different currencies more easily because, There'll be a day when the head of the GMC is not in the United States, and that'll probably come sooner than later. And they're not just—it's not just a a leader in in title or anything like that. They're they're going to be the actual leader. And if they don't understand the money part of it, mm -hmm. I don't think he can lead. Uh, and not that you have to understand all of it, but you have to understand and to make it a little bit easier so that it's maybe in their language or mm -hmm. their currency. 
will just give them a little bit more of a head start into being able to fulfill that leadership position. So, yeah, something that uh, so most people know that uh, in many ways, the head of the denomination at this point is a gentleman named Keith Boyette, who um, has a background in law. And when you're talking about having a global denomination, there are tons of legal ramifications in particular. You have to get established in every nation that you want to legally operate in, which has required a ton of, of time and energy, and you need people who know how to navigate those systems. So Keith has been a big part of that. But you also have financial concerns because the financial system in every nation is also quite different. And so if we're going to talk seriously about being a global denomination, it's not. Well, and the undergirding theology that, that you're talking about that I would support is we, you can't be America-centric in all of this. You have to be truly global in mindset. So you have to make set aside the time and the energy to know how to navigate these different worldly settings and how you can share the burden equally in, 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 in spite of all those complicating factors. So uh, you're, you're pointing to yep. the necessity of having leadership that has room in their head for that big picture is undergirded by good theology, but it is also not just practical, but knowledgeable in these yeah. things. And there are not many people like that. And, and it's my role as a CFO, and the same way with any treasurer, is to make um, the financial information uh, as visible or, uh, uh, so that the leader can comprehend it. So mm -hmm. I don't give necessarily, I mean, right now, I mean, that's one of the things I, I need to work on more is I, I have these financial reports that are, are not necessarily simplified yet. And if I was somebody that was in leadership that didn't deal with this all the time, I, Keith Boyette is probably an exception. He's learned how to do this over, mm -hmm. over the last um, year or so, and really understands the finances very well. But again, you bring in somebody new that's not looking at these reports since the beginning. How can I highlight the most important information on that report? Mm. You know, because that's what a leader, that's what I'd hope uh, uh, that a leader would want and that they would trust me that, to do is here's the most important thing. So whatever it is, maybe it's connectional funding, maybe it's our cash balance, maybe it's our goal towards raising money for the convening conference, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the most important thing that you need to know in order to make good decisions as the leader? So, yeah, so I, I've, I've been able to see a couple of the spreadsheets that you've been able to to generate, they are not easy to understand, and um, so I, I'm glad that you're looking at a way to transparently report these things in ways that are easily in, interpreted and utilized by people in leadership. Um, and you have a good team. One of the things I wanted to come back to and ask you about was when you first stepped into your role, there are some people that have been with you the whole time, but it's my understanding that since then there's actually been a, a committee that has been put together for you to guide the finances of the GMC. Yeah. You know, and that was probably a little late in coming. So I'd like to work in collaboration with people. So I, Jeffrey, I've talked to you before on the side, just ran stuff by you. I've talked to many others, conference treasurers, especially, and other people um, that I, I just, I just want to get a good idea if I'm going in the right direction. Cause we all have blind spots. We all make assumptions. Uh, so now to have an official committee of, so it's the commission on finance, administration, and benefits, maybe. I, I, I wish I'm probably ruining that, but it's basically <laughs> the version of, of um, the old CFNA. Mm -hmm. So yeah. anyway, we just met. We had two meetings. Um, some of my regrets are, I mean, we ran some of these big changes like the benefits change 
uh, we did that informally. I mean, we, it was, we, I, we did visit with them a little bit, but it was on the side. We had to tell them, don't tell this to anybody else. Um, but we couldn't have them fully participate in that decision, which mm. is too bad. Um, yeah. so the, the, myself, Rick and, and Keith were involved. And then the, the transitional leadership council, the TLC was also aware of it. Um, but it, 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 I think it'll be a huge help to navigate some of these big decisions that affect a lot of people to have that whole entire commission. And it's not a huge group either. It's, it's, I think, is it eight people? So, I mean, but, but it is people that you, people that would know, they would know they respect and, um, yeah, I'm just glad to be able to work with them. So, but that was missing for a lot of, a lot of this time. We just got that going and, uh, yeah, we just, yeah, I really it's a good team. value that. I only know a couple of the people on the team, but yeah. you feel good about, you've already said you like working with other people. So this is something that's a welcome change yeah. to you, but you feel like you've assembled the right crew. I think, I think so. I think, um, we brought on, and we do have an international one, uh, element too. We have, um, Dr. Nelson, who is from, uh, oh, I'm going to probably, is it Liberia? I, now I forget. So shoot. Sorry about that, Dr. <laughs> Nelson, um, if you're watching this. But anyway, but we, and then uh, I, we just brought on a new person from the Philippines too, because we always want to keep that in mind. So any of these committees here, mm-hmm. um, we want to keep that, that this is a global denomination. That yeah. there are some concerns. So if we just start th- focusing on just our benefits issues in the United States, for example, uh-huh. uh, we need to also be thinking, okay, people in Spain are going to want to retire. People in the Philippines are going to want to retire. You know, what, what are their health issues? And are they, I, I don't even have any clue on what the health challenges are, the healthcare challenges are in Zimbabwe. So, I mean, that's, so it's nice to have an international perspective on some of these things. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, the, there's, yeah. the, the picture is, is very big and it, you have to have the right people on board with it. I'm remembering a conversation I had with Daniel Topolsky, who is of course the president pro tempore of Bulgaria. And he is very concerned. He, he is of the mind if it's a global denomination that every region should be kicking in money. Mark Holland recently wrote an article in which he highlighted that over 99% of the the general church money for the UMC was coming from the United States of America, and that that leads to certain uh, entitlements that that he made explicit in this article that he wrote about where if we're given 99% of the money, then we should have all this influence. And so John Lomparis has done the work to show, yeah, that's how it's worked out in the United Methodist Church. There, Even though the majority of United Methodists are now African— they are a minuscule uh, constituency on the general boards and agencies, and that's because money talks. And so there probably isn't any realistic scenario in the GMC where the United, where the, the Americans are not giving a majority. But even so, the question is, how equitably are we sharing the expenses and the benefits of this connection that we've got? And we are at this point hoping to do much better than the United Methodist Church. Um, the other reality of the United Methodist Church it, was the general. Well, no, I, I'll remember what I was saying. Go ahead, Jeff. So one of the things that I, I just want to stress, and I remember this from a capital campaign years ago, is that it's not equal amount; it's equal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, if we're asking a church in Africa, Africa, or wherever, or in North Dakota to give one percent, 
That's what we're asking for. That's that fulfills your commitment. And you are as faithful as somebody. I mean, we have churches that are giving, you know, $15,000 a month because that's that's one percent of their income, you know, and we'll probably if we have churches giving $20 a month, they are the same in my mind. I mean, if we can't do that and say that this church, if we can't do that globally, there's something wrong with us. I mean, if we can't see ourselves as as valuing people equally, even though their sacri- what their sac- their one percent is less than my one percent, there's something wrong with us. So, the other thing I wanted to highlight before we got to to viewer questions because I, I put out a thing yesterday and and got a number of people who were interested in your feedback on a number of topics, but. One of the things in talking to you over the last few months I've come to understand is in the United Methodist Church, the General Board, General Council on Finance and Administration, GCFA, is this huge entity overseeing all kinds of financial information that is not available to people broadly, everything done behind closed doors. They they have reporting systems that are not great. Uh, UMdata.org, I think, is their website where they make some of the information available, and I've used it. I appreciate it. But um, yep. in many ways, the tail wags the dog in the United Methodist Church. The, the finance agency is huge and influential and makes a lot of decisions, not all the decisions. And, but the understanding I've had about you and your ministry in the, the Global Methodist Church is you're not heading up this behemoth organization that's doing all these things behind closed doors and, and keeping secrets. Rather, um, if anything, it's a much more transparent and democratic effort where you're regularly reporting to others and and increasingly moving in that direction. But also I think some people get the impression, you know, they assume that the same dynamics carry over from the UMC to the GMC and that we just have this top-heavy institution already with all these people at the top who aren't doing their jobs. The reality is it's a a skeleton crew on a shoestring budget just doing your best. I mean, you were already talking about a lot of – the the retirement and pension stuff was recorded on spreadsheets manually for a long time because you just didn't even have the infrastructure in place. So as I talk to you, I don't I don't ever get the sense that you're a a, a high up mucky muck uh, bureaucrat. I get the sense that that you're just like me, doing your best with what you've got, and then trying to build something without wasting money or energy. Um, so and it's hard to fool me. I'm I'm just yeah. cynical by nature. So. Uh, if you have fooled me, very good job for you, Jeff. But I very much doubt that you have. <laughs> you know, that is that is one of the things. I think we have uh, 14 employees right now. Uh, three or four of them are part-time. I can't remember exactly. So you think about that. How many bureaucrats is that per, per <laughs> church? We have over 4,000 churches. So, I mean... I can't remember. I think I broke it down for um, for the UMC, and I did the math. And I want to say there was like one bureaucrat per ten churches, something like that. Mm. You know, and I know there's some conference conference staff too. So I mean, you mix in the conference staff in there, but still, we're at closer to one to a hundred for bureaucrat ratio, if you include conference staff as well. Mm. So I and probably even yeah. I don't even know if that's 100% uh, accurate, but it, it is much less. One of the things, even when we were looking at, so the change from 
from Westpath to uh, to Guidestone, and we'll talk about that later. But one of the things that occurred to me is why are we making this change? And we were in danger of multiplying bureaucrats instead of multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that was really the danger that we are facing is that we want, we don't want to build these big systems that support bureaucrats, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm a bureaucrat. So, I mean, (laughs) uh, this is no slight on them. They, they, they have an important role, Mm -hmm. but their role is to enable ministry, not ministry to finance a bureaucracy. So that's, that's where I'm at. Um, I don't even remember if that was the question, but well, I, no, I do I think, want to say we are a skeleton crew, yeah. uh, and that's what we want to maintain. So we're not going to provide every service to everybody, and you do have to keep that in mind when you're working with us. Is sometimes we're going to be a little slower getting to you, um, sometimes, and we're trying to do things well, but we and also be fiscally responsible while we're doing it. So yeah, yeah. there's there are big picture things that we're holding in tension. One is. The Global Methodist Church is going to continue to hold intention. One is that you have to have bureaucrats, you have to have people at the top, but if you become too top-heavy, you've lost your mission entirely and the whole thing gets inverted. So you want to properly support those who are administering, but you don't want to create this beast that is then um, a a vicious cycle. And that ties into the second thing, which is the directionality of ministry, which is, is it the job of local churches to primarily bless up, or is it primarily the job of those at the top to bless down? And you and I are of the the mind that those at the top are morally obligated to bless down such that people at the bottom are glad to offer up uh, what they do. But that that's what both of those things, the bureaucracy and the directionality, got off base in the UMC, and you're doing your part to establish a new culture and norm in the GMC. And it is a challenge as a bureaucrat because a lot of times you know systems inside and out, mm-hmm. you know, I, I and you have your ideas and your own thoughts. So the, just the other day we were in that uh, Commission on Finance, Administration, and Benefits, and we were setting priorities. And I was like, I just, I, I, you need to train yourself to shut up and to say, that I'm, I'm here to help support these people. And they they brought up all the good ideas. I mean, they really did. And if I would have derailed it, then they would have started looking to me. And that's how things get off rail is because the bureaucrats speak up too much, provide too much direction. And they are smart ideas, but they're maybe not the best ideas. Mm. So, um, And so it was nice to do. I did speak up on one issue and I said, you know, one of the things that I think this group should have as a priority is looking at legislation going into the convening conference. Yeah. So... And again, it wasn't, I don't think that was off base, but they said all the the other priorities. Uh, Keith does the same kind of thing. He lets the, the committee uh, function and Rick's same kind of deal is trying to back away and trust our leadership. I mean, they are great people um, and that's why they're in leadership. So, but you have to trust them leaders to lead. You're stepping on my toes, Jeff, but I, I, I appreciate that very much. And I was going to go right into questions, but then you just said something that interests me. I, I didn't realize, of course, you have your eye on that ball, but the legislation that's going to convening conference, what's, what's, what are the particular things that you're concerned about or hoping to see? So, so there, there's a couple of things. I did a post on this not that long ago as I was thinking about it, but um, first of all, we should never have a policy that we're not willing to police. Oh, yeah. A lot of times what I saw in the UMC is, 
you would set up a policy because you wanted to fix people and you didn't want to deal with conflict or something like that. So you set a policy or a rule. Um, and people, so, I mean, you really have to own that policy. If I want to say 1% of for connectional funding, I have to really own that. And I, I am. But then we also have a policy in there that says one twelfth shall be sent in every month. And I'm not willing oh, to own that. Okay, or yeah. we have not been owning that necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, if a church wants to send in the full amount or they want to do it quarterly or every other month or monthly, I'm good. I just want them to be faithful to that 1%. So that's the big thing. So what I'm looking for is um, uh, what are the big, big matters? You know, not trying to fix my little pet peeve about, you know, I wish every church would pay online. That would make my world a lot easier. So I, I wish... Is that know. true, There's though? Would it make your world a lot easier everybody... if all the churches paid online? Yeah, yeah. It would totally make our everything, well, it would make it a little easier. Realm is going to help us, by the way. We're going to be able to uh, process checks through a check scanner, which will automatically go in the system, and that'll be awesome. So, I mean, but it still would make it easier. <laughs> so That's good to know. I mean, I think a lot of people would want to know things that they can do to free up your time so that you're spending more time serving local churches rather than crossing T's and dotting I's, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, th- this is kind of interesting. So this is kind of back office but right now we have that spreadsheet for connectional funding and donations. Okay. And to get a report, so I got to take this spreadsheet with our checks and actually, um, Janelle has joined our team last fall, and she's doing awesome. She's putting it all together, most of it for me anyway. But combining our Stripe donations, because we allow Stripe donations on our website currently, it's going to switch to Realm. And then you have to, to analyze it and split it out by conference and all this other kind of stuff, and then plug that into the into QuickBooks. And, you know, it takes me close to a day to end up processing that kind of stuff, where in with Realm... I push a button and there's my report. Nice. You know, that's that's it. I mean, there is time in entering it and making sure stuff is entered well, but we already do that right now. But now there's time, a lot of time in entering it and then reporting on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just going to make reporting a lot easier, the information more accessible. Um, and, and that's one of the things I, I kind of feel a little guilty about is even... I like I would like to do more reporting to people, but right now um, we're just not set up in a way to make it easy to do it. And mm-hmm. sometimes our reporting, like for example, I report to our conferences. I try to do it monthly, although I I did it bi monthly this last time. I try to do it monthly. Every church that gives to connectional funding to them. So it, whether it's general conference or they, they, some churches are still sending their conference funding to the general church, either way. But um, I, I try to report to them, but it takes time to process it. And then there's still mistakes because guess what? Um, how many first church of Smithville are there, you know, and trying to make sure that we attribute it to the right one. And there's, I remember, so this is kind of an aside, but we had a treasurer that sent in a check and for the memo, there was just a question mark. Uh, so mm. I'm not faulting the treasurer, by the way. I think this was a little bit passive aggressive, but they were just told you need to pay this amount in. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they didn't understand what they were sending it in for. And so I'm going to send it in, but I'm going to send it with a question oh mark. My goodness. You know, so there, there's communication issues too. But anyway. Well, for at least the pastors who watch this, they know that in every system it takes time to build order. And then once that order is created, that's what frees you up to do a lot more things. But it doesn't all happen at once. And especially when. 
the ethos is almost that we want the structure at the top to be so small and weak that you can easily drown it in a bathtub, then that means that you're going to really be hamstrung so far as uh, how fast you can move in this stuff. So there are many voices saying we need to send more money and build more infrastructure at the top, and they're balanced by many other voices saying, nope, no, let's just go slow. <laughs> let's just let's have it say small. And yep. this is part of this is one of many things that the GMC is working out right now. So uh, we could spend a lot more time on the topics we've already covered. But um, I I made sure to collect some questions yesterday from viewers. And if I'm good about this, I'll I'll edit it later so that we overlay the actual questions. I'm going to show privilege uh, at first for the people on locals. Locals is where uh, people can monetarily support plain spoken. And if people want to have this kind of privilege in the future. There are other privileges, but you can go to plainspoken.locals.com. I had two questions from there. One is from Gabe. He was the first one. He had two questions. He said, ask him about bishops' pay. He wants to know what bishops are going to get paid. And then number two, he wants to know more about donor-advised funds or trusts for large do uh, donations. So those are two very different issues. Right. What can you say about uh, bishop salaries is not really in your wheelhouse. It's something that's determined right now by the TLC, and then will maybe get legislated at the convening conference. Do I understand that correctly? Yep. yep. So I think, and this is, uh, I'm speaking out of ignorance right now, but I think the bishop salaries were probably brought over from the, what they were being compensated in the UMC. Uh, I, I want to say it was probably some similar amount um, for now. It, we don't have a, we just, TLC has been watching over that, and um, we, my Commission on Finance and Administration and Benefits, they are going to start uh, setting up staffing guidelines and that kind of thing. So right now it's been, it has been um, I, not necessarily systematic. So that's that's one of the things that that will be a shock for us. Is to, And we're noticing that at all levels, by the way, probably you yourself. All of a sudden, you don't have minimum compensation requirements mm -hmm. in the GMC. Yeah, you don't have a lot of different guidelines like that, and so we don't necessarily have that either. So, and that doesn't mean we're paying people out the nose, but we're paying them uh, what we think we need to be able to um, people to to fulfill their their job and their ministry without, uh, I guess necessarily doing it in in poverty so the tlc um, is i think our people are compensated well yeah they well yeah. if if their pay right now is commensurate with coming out of the united methodist church the united methodist church last i checked paid bishops well over one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a year i want to say one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars you know a year. and when i look at it and 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 i'm gonna really speak up for the bishops uh because has any other bishop had to organize a denomination like this where they might be in North Dakota one day, Cuba the next week, Angola the next week after that? I mean, it is we I am so impressed with Keith Walter and Bishop Jones and Bishop Webb. Uh, Keith and Walter are not bishops, but but they are in that leadership role where yeah. they are connecting a lot of a lot of people and bringing people on board. So, I mean, right now, most of these people, they they could have retired mm -hmm. and been comfortable, and instead they are flying all over the world and sacrificing their time with their family and you know even some of their physical health probably too, just doing all this oh, sure. travel work. So, yeah. Um, yeah. See, and I don't I, feel but the that need, will be a struggle. I don't feel the need to defend 
what we are doing. I, I've been on, I think I've gone on the record as being against high bishop salaries. I think they should get paid the average of yep. what elders get paid, and then we should just comp all their travel and, and expenses, obviously. But um, this, this is stuff, it, it's going to get ironed out. We haven't even had a convening conference yep. yet. We, d we haven't even gotten clear on what the role of bishops are going to be and if we maintain presidents pro tempore. A lot of these things have yet to get worked out. So right now, it's just doing what the TLC says. The TLC is the committee that sits at the top of the whole denomination, the Trans Transitional Leadership Committee. And then we don't even know what yep. role they're going to play after the first uh, convening conference. All of this is going to get figured out. It's not your job to set salaries. It's your job to administer the church as the TLC has set it up, right? Yeah, and, and that's what we're doing right now. And it'll be interesting as things shake out and we get more systematized. Um, I, I know there are people that are working and they could be making a ton more than they are right now. And then there's people that are, are making, um, yeah, I, I think I'm making a decent salary. I mean, I I, I feel like I hope I'm earning it. Um, that, that is one of the things that you do hope. I mean, no matter what. I mean, when you're in the church mm -hmm. world, you hope you you should hope you earn whatever compensation you're receiving. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Because I've, I've had to defend so many pastors. I mean, no matter what, it, when you're a pastor, sometimes you're, you're fairly well compensated versus some other people in your community. And they, they only see you working one hour a week sometimes. And right. so they wonder, okay, what is, what is pastor Jeffrey doing? You know, I remember we once even had our pastor when I was living in Bismarck, pastor Kermit, he was, we had him do a time audit because he golfed a lot. <laughs> and, you know, we thought, how is, how is he possibly putting in his time? Well, we were embarrassed. I mean, he, he was putting in easily 50 hours, you know, and that's not counting being on call. And this is, this was 20 some years ago. So this is before cell phones were totally taking off and everybody had access to the pastor all the time, it seemed like. So, yeah, there's, yeah. anyway, we'll figure all this out going forward. Um, in two minutes or less, can you address donor advised funds or trust for large donations? So large donations, one of the things that I'm going to encourage churches to do is check out Guidestone. So we don't have a necessarily a uh, global Methodist foundation that would manage this, but Guidestone is our partner there. And I looked at their returns. Their returns are very similar to what you would experience with Westpath. Um, and if you were actually with a, a conference foundation, um, it takes out that middleman that used to take another percentage. So I just remember when I was working with um, the Dakota's Methodist Foundation, Westpath took their little bit, and then the Dakota's Methodist Foundation took their little bit. So now it's just Guidestone taking their little bit. So yeah, for managing the the funds, and it'll be similar returns, maybe even a little bit better when you exclude that um, conference foundation uh, fees. So. And that's on the local church level, but if people make these large donations on the denominational level, then you'll be looking to Guidestone and, to administer those as well. And I would look at Guidestone too. They offer, and I don't, I'll, I, I'm, I know they offer, they offer opportunities for individuals to invest. Their, um, their uh, funds are actually registered with the SEC. So you can actually look them up. They're monitored by that. So they've taken that extra step for, so I, I'm not exactly for sure exactly how their donor advised funds and that works. Um, I was mainly concerned of 
churches being able to invest their money with someone they can trust for a good return. Mm -hmm. So something similar to what they might have experienced if they were with their local United Methodist Foundation or or something like that. I don't want them to be necessarily invested in CDs because in the long run, that's going to be a losing bet because CDs are actually set up to lose against inflation. So you're going to lose um, in the long run. So Once upon a time, CDs were a decent investment. Those time is long past. Do not put your money in CDs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Another question. This one is fine for a short period. Right. Um, Resurrection GMC asks uh, Bishop slash President Pro Tempor pay structure. Also, prudent reserves. What percentage of denominational funds will be used for ministry? and what will be stashed away. So we've already talked about bishop and president pro tempore salaries, I think, sufficiently. But yeah. what about reserves? How is, um, are we taking in enough money? Are we taking in more than we need? And if so, what is be do- being done with reserves? What's the, what's the model going forward? So one of the nice things about us switching to Guidestone is uh, Rick Van Giesen and myself, we were concerned about building up some kind of reserve for mm-hmm. benefits because if a church can't pay their health insurance invoice, for example, I still have to pay it. And so you need some kind of reserves for cash flow purposes, as well as if there was a major downturn or something like that. So with the move to Guidestone, we won't have to build up that reserve. And that's where um, in the United Methodist Church, that's where a lot of the reserves are built up. And you look at it, um, multi, multi millions. I mean, even a small conference like mine had reserves in the tens of millions. So, um, so we won't need reserves there. We will need to build up some kind of operational reserve. And, and even if we build, um, if we have donor restricted funds, so maybe we have a, like a scholarship fund or something like that set up in the future, you know, we will need to invest those. Uh, right now we don't have anything set up. We do need to, uh, our big concern now is saving up money for the convening conference. I, I don't know exactly how much that would cost, but, um, I would guess, Here's a, here's a guess in the neighborhood of four million dollars. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, um, how much is that going to be the responsibility of the local church and the conference? And when I was with the conference, we had four years to plan for this and budget for for sending people to to our general conference, and that's not available now. So right. So for us, any reserves right now is probably going to be devoted more towards that convening conference. And eventually, what I'd like to do is I like to have it very clear what my reserve levels are. Right. So I like to say, let's just say, for example, um, we, 50% would be maybe our ceiling. So 50% of our conference budget. Let's just, I, I'm just using this as an example. So three to six months. So three months, so 25% might be our floor. So if we're under that 25%, we're going to want to keep contributing. But if we ever get over that ceiling, anything over that should be distributed. Um, our, our philosophy, or my philosophy, I guess, has been, you know, God gave us extra money not to sit in our bank account, but to be used for ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already determined, if we determine that, that six months is enough. Why, why don't we just go ahead and there must be a purpose for this. Yeah. So what, and we need to look and open our eyes to what God wants to do. So. And you did, in your time as treasurer of the Dakotas, actually enact a plan like this where once enough money brought it was brought in you actually started returning money back to local churches and it went quite well right yeah and it was it was interesting because we 
we did a couple of things too. And I, and I love this by the way, is that we would, we set up all of our targets. We had everything set up to where we felt comfortable. We were caring for the plans and the participants, you know, especially if there was a downturn. Um, and then anything over that we, we had to, we wrote some large checks. I mean, I remember one year we sent, I think it was around the neighborhood of $40,000 to each church served by a full-time pastor. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. Right. So for, yeah. for most of those churches, that's what they would have paid in probably two years for their benefits. And they received that chunk back from us and just that discipline. And we also, and I don't know if we may do this too, but um, we also built in a tithing mechanism in there. So we would look at it, let's just say we had a million dollars that was extra over and above our ceiling. We would say, well, 10% of that goes to something else, something outside of us. So we used to send it off to the Central Conference Pension Initiative. That was our biggest one, supporting the pensions in Africa. And then we also had a a sister missionary conference, the Alaska one, that we always wanted to support too because we had a number of pastors from the Dakotas serving there. So we we would send off our tithe, and then the other 90%, most of that went back to the churches. And then the other, some of it would be for other good things, such as we set up a fund to care for... um, care for churches and pastors when like something major happens. So let's say there was a car accident uh-huh. and the pastor was laid up for, they're not permanently disabled they're they're not long-term disabled, but they're that short-term disability. And so maybe we need to help care for that church and that pastor for three months or six months. So, and so anyway. when you have good financial stewardship, you can do things like this rather than always being just reactive. You can be proactive with it. So I, yep. that's one of the many reasons why And then if you haven't invested well, yeah. And investing it well, it'll, it'll grow faster than you expect. I right? mean, so I re- remember when we very first set up those targets, we thought, we'll never get this. And then like two years later, now what are we going to do with all this money? So <laughs> may we anyway. be so blessed and cursed. Um, I, I want to go to the, the YouTube com- uh, questions now. Eileen Thrift asks, what is the current state of GMC finances? We know that the GMC is allowing churches that join the GMC time because of the ransom paid to the UMC by disaffiliating churches, even though GMC apportionments, connectional giving, will be much less. Um, I, I think you've already spoken. Well, yeah, okay, there's a, you can't, what's that called? You can file a, a form if your church is really hurting for money because for a of a waiver. Pain. Yeah. It's just called a waiver. You just you ask know, for a waiver. Yep. Okay. There's a waiver. You contact Keith Boyette about it. Okay. And, you know, I kind of discourage that. I, I anyway, because in, in a, anyway, I, I don't like that. I, anyway, I always think that you well, try for to churches that are just obligation. about to close their doors, surely your your understanding of that. But oh, you're worried about churches that are just and I'm totally. I mean, so. Here's where I sit on this. I know this is a time of chaos. We've we've had we're receiving close to four hundred thousand dollars per month for connectional funding. So I mean we are receiving a good amount, but that only represents the connectional funding from about half of our churches. Okay. So am I beating down the doors trying to say right now this season, um, especially this next year and before this too? And Keith and Teresa set the tone for this, and and everybody else set the tone for this. Is that it's about education, bringing people online, uh, bringing them into the mix. And, and as they, they learn, then all of a sudden the responsibility goes. So I had churches that, uh, for example, they, they 
were part of the global Methodist denomination for most of 2023. And they just found out about connectional funding, you know, and (laughs) I just said, do we have to go back? And I say, what I normally tell them is, you know, start January and be faithful from then on. Don't worry about going back. I mean, especially if it's a hardship, if they want to do go back, I'm not going to discourage them from doing that either, but I mean, Yeah. So I just, you know, I just want churches to be able to be faithful to it. And so we have been, and I'm such a libertarian too, which is the one of the things. So what I think you're going to see eventually, and hopefully people don't take this wrong, um, 2024, a lot about education. Eventually we're going to start shifting into, okay, you haven't been uh, paying into connectional funding since you started. Do you really want to be global Methodist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you haven't filed for a waiver, for example, either. You know, there's no you haven't contacted us. You just want the benefits of being global Methodist, but you don't want to pay into it. And that's where we have to have those kind of conversations about. So um, let me exhort listeners, just figure out, make sure your church is paying connectional giving. And if if your church can afford it, yeah, go ahead and pay uh, faithfully what what's owed from the time that you've begun. But also going back a little bit, the primary anxiety right now is funding this convening conference later this year. And if you want to give yeah. specifically to that, you can go to globalmethodist.org, and there is a giving tab where you can give directly to that. You don't have to give to the general budget. And so if people, you know, I've given money. I, I Whenever we made the announcement, I did a video showing that page and how to go pay it. Uh, People who are of of means to do that, go ahead and fund that. Let's go on to the next question. Uh, Lauren W.L. Walter Alters 5366. How will connectional funding be spent? Will we receive acknowledgement that they have been paid? How do we sponsor a delegate to go to conference? Who will be taking Keith Boyett's place when he retires? I guess that's four questions. Connectional funding is just spent according to the budget established by the TLC, right? Yeah. Okay. So TLC has adopted a budget. Yep. And then what kind of uh, 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 acknowledgement do you issue to local churches and individuals whenever they pay? So for individuals, they are getting a gift receipt with um, with Realm. I, I think that was one of our struggles too, is being able to easily communicate or, and accurately. When you're getting about a thousand a thousand um, connectional funding payments per month. It, it really is a challenge. So what we're going to, but with Realm, we can easily do an email statement. Um, we are debating on how do you report this and make it more transparent? Because like I say, I report to the conferences, um, but how much do you put that and make that available for everyone to see? Uh, we are in connection. So Anyway, that's that. There, there are questions about that. What will be helpful and what won't be helpful, and that's uh, the Commission on Finance and Administration will definitely help us navigate some of that. Um, the, let's see. There was another question on how yeah. will we pay sponsoring, for general conference? Spell, sponsoring a delegate to go to general conference. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work because yeah. it is going to cost. Um, I don't know. So conferences. I, I really probably shouldn't speak to this, but the, the, I think one of our main concerns is especially our non-U.S. delegates. Um, a lot of times they probably have the least amount of ability to um, go ahead and hurry up and save for this and then send somebody over. I mean, I I, I just think, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that's who I, I'm most concerned about. And so that's what a lot of the fundraising is for when we do individual fundraising and when we're uh, putting aside money for that—that's—that's that's what it's uh, 
our one of our focuses not only renting the convention center but also helping especially our non-us people i don't know what it's going to look like for us people yet so okay but would i be right in thinking that if people want to give money to help international delegates get here the best thing they can do right now is yep. just give to the general conference fund Give to the general conference fund or give okay. to the yeah the convening conference fund over yep. on our website. So globalmethodist.org. There's a giving tab for individuals. Go ahead and give through that. And Perfect. that's the best way. So And then yeah. uh, a curiosity about who's gonna take Keith Boyette's place, but there's there's the TLC is gonna be interviewing for that position for several more months, right? You know, I don't again, I don't think I don't know how this is going to work. So what is the role of bishops? What is the role of TLC? What is Uh the role? Because I think if I recall correctly, Keith's um, title is chief transition officer. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean after the transition? Yeah. So, uh, but he's, is he, is he working until the convening conference? I thought he was stepping down before then. Oh man. I, I guess I assumed he was staying on. I mean, I would have him stay I, on. I, I mean, everything's I, going well. I for some reason I thought he was stepping down in like four yeah. months, but I, I could be wrong. Um, anyway, there's no way to know who's oh, going to get that position. I, I couldn't imagine that. You know, well, and yeah, I recall I, I, I spoke with Karen that. Nicholas about that recently, and she indicated to me that they're not clear on if we want to have one person doing what he does or if it needs to be a, a small team of people who do what he does because he is really spread out, way too thin. And he has a level of connectional knowledge that it's not reasonable to expect that someone else would have. Yeah, I mean, just like a founding pastor, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's almost impossible. You, you see that a lot of times with mega churches, where the founding pastor goes in, and then the person that replaces him struggles, and then the founding pastor comes back and writes the ship, and then leaves again, and those kinds of things. Where, um, yeah, Keith has played such an important role in this. So it'll be interesting how that transitions to the next generation. And, you know, it is one of those exciting things where you look at a number of our leaders, you know, Bishop Jones um, and Keith Boyette, uh, a number of them are. Rick Van Giesen, too, for example, they could be retired right now and enjoying time sitting on a beach somewhere. Mm-hmm. And instead they're they're working. But I think that sets us up really well to hand it off to the next generation. You see that a lot with our president pro tems as well. I mean, most many of them are probably could have retired or, or but yeah, they, they are willing to serve in this transitional time because they know that they're ready to hand it off. So it, it is kind of a cool time. So. All right. I'm going to push you, Jeff. We got several more questions and we're almost out of time. So I'm going to ask you to limit your answers to 30 seconds and I'm not going to say any follow-up now. I realize I'm part of the problem. All right. Okay. Jay Allred asked two questions on Facebook. Is there a timeline for benefits for church employees? That'll be coming in July. More details to come. So July 1, we expect to have uh, benefits for employees, lay employees. Jay Allred asked a second question. Will budgets, balance sheet, income statement, and statement of cash flows be made available to members? Yes. So I, I... I did talk with uh, Keith Boyette about that, doing some kind of regular ones. We're currently undergoing our first audit. Ideally, I'd like to do this quarterly and be able to share it in a very public way where they'd be summarized, but um, they should be helpful to people understanding our finances. So. I'm I'm trying to make that a plain spoken installment, having Jeff on here semi-regularly to talk about 
GMC finances and theology of money. So if you're a fan of that, put it in the comments. Let uh, let Jeff know. Uh, we'll see if we can't secure him more often, but I'm really enjoying this. All right, on Facebook, Jeremiah Chapman, uh, funding for new church plants. We can't do the work we need to do in planting churches without a system in place for funding. Limited to 30 seconds. So, okay, this is going to be tough. So <laughs> I'll give if you you're a looking minute. to the denomination to fund your new church, you're looking in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to say it. I mean, I wish we could. I honestly wish we could. Um but but we can't. So there is a the River Network and there are some grants out there relating to the River Network in Asbury. But what I've done personally is we had new church starts up startups in Rapid City and Sioux Falls in my area back before I started on this in this job. And I just called up some larger churches that I knew were paying much, much less in apportionments and said, Would you be willing to partner with this church? And they're getting first of all, it it, it really excited that church to be that involved in a new church start. They said, this is the most exciting thing we've done. We normally would send off $150,000 to the conference and not know what happened to it. Now I'm sending off whatever, $75,000 to Rapid City. I don't know if that's the amount, but anyway, they're sending off a chunk to Rapid City. I'm helping them with their payroll and we're seeing a a new church launch because of this. We're seeing more uh, a church for our kids that we agree with in Rapid City or Sioux Falls. So, that's if I would visit with your presiding elder, your president pro tem, your conference people to say, are there churches that are willing to partner with us? Because I I would bet you people in the global Methodist church want to see new people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. They want to see new churches. So we just got to match the need up with those that are willing and able. Paul Caleb Rowland says, I think you were going to follow up with someone about the Book of Doctrines and Discipline mentioning either paying for seminary training or loan repayment for years of service, something along those lines. Maybe he would know how that's planned to be funded and worked out. You saw my article that I published last week on—this was paragraph 411 uh, detailing a ministerial training fund. Would I be right in assuming that there have been so many other immediate needs that there hasn't been any movement on this yet? Yeah, I haven't seen anything move on that end. Um, no, so yeah, eventually, what you're going to find out is someone else's. I don't know if it, I'm a horrible fundraiser. I could set it up, but um, there will be people that are passionate that want to give to it. A lot, a lot of times, what we'd see is bequest gifts and other large donations for these types of things because they really want to see people trained up. To, so that's I, I want to say if we could set it up and then have a, a place for people to put those kind of gifts. That's what would be nice to do. So Cool. Yeah. So like if I made a formal request, could you go ahead and set it up and I could just start channeling money into this? I would set it up. So what I would do initially right now is set it up in our checking account as a des- designated fund. And when we transfer transition all the way to Guidestone, it'll be invested in its own separate fund. So Great. Guidestone, could it be an endowment that just with pays them. out regularly? Exactly. Cool. So we'll be able to multiply your gift. So. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's let's move on that. I think that's a good idea. We'll we'll do it. Um, Richard Hayduck says, "What's the reason for moving from Westpath to Guidestone? Where there was there pressure on Westpath from the UMC side? That's a good question. A desire to cut the last vestiges of the UMC from the GMC was was that what it is? Was it solely cost savings? Was it better products? Was it something else?" 
you've you've answered some of this in the press release and FAQs, but but what do you think is important to yeah. add to what you've put in writing as to the decision making process? So I'm going to say um, Westpath. First of all, I want to say their staff served us excellently. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, they served us excellently. Uh, but but we have competing visions for for the administration or the bureaucracy. So the, their um, their vision would be is that more and more of the administration be handled by the conference or the denomination. And ours is, again, we don't want to multiply bureaucrats. And so for us um, to make it as efficient as possible. So that's where really a lot of ours was, is we wanted to, the bureaucratic piece was by far the biggest part. Um, we did have some concerns about costs. So, uh, but, but the, again, that wasn't overarching. We wouldn't have made a, I don't know if we would have moved away if it would have cost the churches more. Uh, like I think it says in our FAQ, we expected the cost to be less, at least for the health insurance piece. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, and there, there are concerns. They, they, they touch a little bit on the, the denominational issues. I don't recall ever feeling that from anybody in, in the staff. But I, I have concerns when I look at the board, for example, um, of, of who makes that up. And it was interesting to visit with Guidestone where when you look in the evangelical world, um, almost all of them are rooting for the global Methodists to succeed. I, I mean, if you have Nazarene friends, if you have Missouri Synod Lutheran friends or whatever, Baptist friends or anything like that, if they're following this split at all, they are rooting for the global Methodist denomination. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's um, choosing to stay in the UMC, not anybody, but m- many of the leaders that are choosing to stay in the UMC are not rooting for the global Methodist denomination. Mm-hmm. So um, there may be, there's plenty of individuals in local churches and pastors that are rooting for the global Methodist and want us to do well. But if you are um, at the head of the institution, you're probably not rooting for us to succeed. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruth Blake says, are there plans to publish which churches have made their connectional funding and which church haven't? You know, I'd have to coordinate that with the, the conferences as well as the, the Commission on Finance and Administration and Benefits. Just as of right again, now, I want to be the most plans. helpful we can be. Yeah. Okay. There's no formal plans. Yep. So, okay. I mean, I, I agree with doing it. I mean, I like seeing it. I, my In the Dakotas UMC, we set up a page that I still watch, and I probably shouldn't even admit that because they might take it down. So, but I like to see the – I like to see how they did, and I like to see the three-year track record. So um, I'm glad they still do it. Right on. Final so. Facebook question, were other options and bids considered when switching benefit providers? You know, we did do a little bit of limited um, looking around. We checked out USI. I think they're based in in Houston, and um, you know, had some good talks with them. We just felt it wasn't a good fit necessarily. Uh, so we did have a, a a very short time frame where we had to notify Westpath if we were going to make a decision to leave by um, January one. So that was, and we wanted to respect that uh, if we. Westpath, again, like I say, they served us well. We wanted to give them enough adequate uh, heads up if we were going to make a change. So we didn't do a very thorough RFP where we were advertising it to everybody. And again, we did want to keep it kind of on the on the I down suppose. low. I don't know if you want to say that. But because 
we, we didn't know for sure if we were going to go and pull the trigger or not. And so the TLC, when they looked at the, the report that Rick and I provided them, they, they felt comfortable making the change and were uh, willing to approve it. So, um, yeah. But again, we didn't want to cause a stir if there was nothing, nothing going to happen. So, yeah. And if we did do an official RFP, that would have... <laughs> That would have caused RFP quite a stir is, right ahead uh, of me. business speak for requests for proposals, right? Uh, correct, correct. So so you can do an out yeah. in the open, hey, we're not happy with our provider. Everybody give us your best offers. But that would have been politically really difficult to, to, to stomach. Instead, yeah. there was a private uh, investigation that you were able to do where the results, what, able, yeah. what Guidestone was able to offer was obviously competitive, much more... Um, beneficial to the culture that we're establishing in the GMC and was just an obvious fit yeah. for now. And especially, I mean, that is going to be one of the pain points. I, I, I should emphasize this is for churches, a lot of churches are going to be now the, the administrator in a lot of ways. So almost like, and I don't know how many people have like progressive car insurance or some of those stuff that you manage online. So you add a vehicle, you pay the bills online, you get your cards online, stuff like that. So the church administrator is going to end up having an experience like that where you are updating the pastor or lay staff's uh, compensation and what the benefits are and you're going to pay the bill online. So, I mean, there's, so the reason why we could not multiply bureaucrats is because we are asking more from our churches. And one of the things I'm always impressed with is just how capable our laity are. And I think for way too long, they've been put on the sideline. I mean, if we give them information and, um, and some kind of support, they are more than capable of doing way better than any of us expect. So, but, but if you have very, very low standards where you just want them to write a check to you and don't worry about anything else, just write the check, just write the check. Guess what? You're going to get uh, lay people that w- can only meet that low, low expectation. But if you ask a little bit more, um, we have awesome lay people. So, mm. Well, there's a lot more that, that we could talk about. Um, I think the final concern, I, I, I did get a number of, uh, anonymous uh, people writing, wanting to know and verify there are there is an option for if one has retirement funds in Westpath, keeping their funds in Westpath. This is not a everybody no. has to leave them; they're dead to us. It's just we are leaning in this direction. Our formal relationship with the denomination is going to be in this, and then the only funds that are now concluded and can't be added to or transferred are uh, the defined benefit funds. Is that right? Correct. So yeah, if you're, especially retirees, for example, if you don't want to go through a change, we're moving your funds over to Guidestone, don't. And I mean, you're perfectly welcome and happy to stay there. Go ahead and stay there. If you do want to roll them over, there's a way to do that. And for active pastors too, that have maybe 20 years or so worth of of funds accumulated in in Westpath, you can keep those funds there, but then you're going to have a new fund set up for you in Guidestone. So, and you can keep those separate. You can compare the returns if you want, you know. Um, but like you say, those those defined benefit ones. So your Crisp DB, your Pre eighty two, and your uh, MPP annuities, those have to stay with Westpath. So. But you're still going to get that payout whenever time comes. So those monies have not disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yep. No, and Westpath is—they're really—they are really capable and 
manage that well. That's, I mean, they're, that's one of their highest priorities. I remember when I went to training with them, I mean, they really drilled it in that we have fiduciary responsibilities to get the best return for our retirees, you know, and to, um, our future retirees as well. So that was what they really drilled in is who do they serve? They really serve the future retirees. So yeah. and the re- current retirees. Yeah, what I what I hear you saying and what I said in, in my article is Westpath are professionals. They're great in a number of ways. What what you just said explicitly was there's just competing visions for how what model things operate on. And that matters. So um, there's a lot more we could yeah. talk about. I got a whole lot more I had a personal question I wanted to ask. Maybe I'll save it for next time. And then I got a lot of anonymous questions. So there's a lot more interest in these topics. Um, There are people who I don't think have read the original press release or the FAQ, so I'm going to try and remember to put those links on the show notes here. Also, I published an article last week where I thought through a lot of the the stuff around why this transition was needed. Briefly, was there there anything that you wanted to say as a corrective to that? I know you, you read it. Was there anything that you think you would frame differently than I did, or do you think I did you know, all right? No, I thought you did awesome. So okay. I think it really, yeah, I thought you did awesome. I think think it was a really good discussion and, and a good overview. So I Well, I I'll provide a link to that as well. Misleading or anything. On this. So people who have additional questions, you know, do your homework. And then, as I said a, a few minutes ago, I'm wanting this to be a regular thing. I, I care about financial and stewardship ministry. I think the GMC is uniquely positioned to, to, to use our money and assets in a way that would make being a global Methodist church very enviable um, and something where over a prolonged period of time, many other churches from, from other parts of the world and other traditions want to be global Methodist because of our stewardship ministry. Uh, those are decisions we're making right now. I think a lot of it has to do with transparency. And so I, Jeff, you know, I know you're probably not the only person who makes this decision, but I would love to have you on here semi-regularly. I would like it to be monthly just to talk about proper theology, yeah. uh, transparent finances, help help people give eagerly the trust that the GMC needs at this time. So to that end, thanks for doing this well, one. You're, you're, I think, the first person I've interviewed twice, maybe not, but I just think you're the fantastic guy for the role, and thank you, thank you for serving. You know, can I add one thing? You know, one of the best benefits to this whole thing is that you connect with a lot of different people and you you have a, a pretty good audience. And that's what I think really would help a bureaucrat from being isolated. So all those different questions that you asked me coming from all different people. I mean, that's what I want to hear. Right. I mean, we it might sound like criticism sometimes, but that's what we need to. And I'm fine with that, too. But I, I think that's what helps us be better than uh, if we isolate ourselves. So thank you for your work, Jeffrey. Um, it is really a blessing to Global Methodists as well as the kingdom. So I sure hope so. That's what I'm going for, man. So anyway, if I uh, want to thank you viewers for spending time with us. Of course, we went over our hour-long limit that I set, and that's just because Jeff is interesting and I'm loquacious. But if you want to be shown uh, preference next time I have a guest on and your questions can come up first, you can go to plainspoken.locals.com, become a supporter there. Uh, go ahead and subscribe wherever you are, and then share this with other people in the Global Methodist Church that are concerned with uh, stewardship ministry, and in particular if you're concerned in the long term about just uh, a theology around money and how we can be faithful around money, go ahead and follow along with what I'm doing here. That's going to be just a, a theme that comes up over and over. And go ahead and go over to Jeff Pospisil's channel. Pospisil is—well, look on the title of where you're watching this, but it's S-I-L, not C-I-L at the end. And go ahead and subscribe to what he does. Make sure that your church treasurer in particular is subscribed to what he does, because he is constantly giving practical 
um, uh, advice and knowledge to people in that role. So, Jeff, anything else to say before we conclude this? No, just appreciate the time. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you, viewers. I'll see you next time. Adios. Bye.